Now, this isn't Revelations, but I'm going to show you how Revelations is a fulfillment of what Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church in the second letter. Let's read it and get a little bit of a broader sweep of the word. He's writing to them and says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of Jesus and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let nobody deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, a great apostasy from the faith. That's what he's talking about. And the man of sin, that's Antichrist, is revealed, the son of perdition or the son of hell, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God. Now, what's happening here, students? What's happening here? The abomination of desolation. Paul is talking about that. He sits as God in the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, showing himself or declaring that he is God. Okay? Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and now you know what is restraining, what is holding this event back, that he may be revealed in his own time. There's a timing for everything. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains, and I believe the he, notice it's capital H, the Holy Spirit is restraining these events. Okay? He will do so until he is taken out of the way. Until the rapture of the church, I believe, takes place. And it leaves a giant spiritual vacuum on the earth. And then the Antichrist, lawless one, will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. He comes by the power of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who are perishing. Why does God let this happen? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe, notice, not a lie, the lie. The lie being the ultimate delusion, Antichrist. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. All right, tonight we're going to look at a beast and a harlot, but I wanted to show you this because what we're about to look at in chapter 17 is fulfillment of what we just read. Lord, we just thank you tonight for your word. Open our eyes and understanding. Thank you, Lord, that though these are perilous times, they are exciting times in prophetic fulfillment. We pray the Spirit owns the word now and teaches us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Now, I've told you that chapter 17 of Revelations is the most difficult or we could say the most challenging. Chapters 17 and 18 are the final moments of the darkness of God's judgment. When we get into 19 through 22, we're going to see the glory of the Lord being revealed. We're going to see heaven. We're going to see all kinds of great things. So I know you've sat through some very somber messages, and it's about to get a little bit more somber, and then we're going to get happy. But again, how many of you are thankful for the blood of the Lamb 
and for the grace of God. All right. Last time we saw the end of civilization as we have known it by the pouring out of the seven bowls of judgment. Now, in your notes, you've got this same picture. I can make out some of these. Here's the bowls being poured out on the earth, this top one. And here's when they were covered with the skin lesions because the ozone layer is removed when one of the bowls is poured out. Here's the ocean as blood. Here's the clean, like artesian springs turned to blood. Here are people being scorched with the heat of the sun. Here is the unusual darkness covering the Antichrist kingdom. And that's some of it, but it's there in your notes. And I'm very thankful for the job that Jeff and Laura have done in putting all this together. And so let them know you appreciate the notes and how well they've been done. Amen. Now we're going to solve the riddle of two mysterious characters found in chapter 17. The great harlot and the scarlet beast. Now tonight I want you to put your thinking caps on. We're going to be going into a little bit of history. And I want to bring you up to now, right now, and how chapter 17 is coming to pass in front of our very eyes. Okay? John is once again approached by one of the seven angels. And the angel reveals a vision that just blows his mind. That's not in your notes. I said that. Astonishes him. Revelation 17. First six verses. Look at this. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me. And here's what he said. Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. And the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now catch this. The first lead character in chapter 17 is a great harlot. Of course, this is figurative. This is a picture. John is telling us something very important. The fact that the great harlot is sitting on many waters symbolizes a vast worldwide influence. The harlot in this vision, has corrupted the entire world. Now, often in Scripture, harlotry has to do not with physical harlotry, but with spiritual harlotry. And it is a departure from the true God. You read the book of Jeremiah any old day of the week, and you'll find Jeremiah harping at the children of Israel over and over again for becoming harlots or from prostituting themselves away from God spiritually by worshiping idols. And when you worship an idol instead of God, God calls that harlotry, all right? Now, in this particular vision, this departure from the true God is a false apostate religious system that John is seeing. It's a false religious apostate system. He sees an apostate religious system working with the Antichrist. Remember, the Antichrist is a political leader. But he has his little sort of John the Baptist guy, the false prophet, the second beast. And that false prophet apparently is a religious figure. And this is his religious system. This is the religious system he comes up out of. It's apostate. It's phony. It is an abomination to God. But it looks religious. It looks good. And so the Antichrist and his political system and the false prophet and his religious system work together to bring the world under this delusion 
we just read about in Thessalonians. The great harlot is probably going to be comprised of an all-inclusive, corrupted Christianity with apostate Protestantism, Roman Catholicism, and a blend of other false religions that produce one final last day super church. The media will love this church. The media will back this church. And if true believers resist, and when they resist this apostate super church that is, looks good on the outside, but is full of hell on the inside, we will experience persecution by this church, from this church, and from the Antichrist, who is amening this church because this super apostate church is helping him into his power. It'll look good on the outside, but it'll be completely corrupt on the inside. Is this hard to imagine right now anymore? Not anymore, is it? Not anymore. We're looking at an apostasy right now. In the West, in the East, Christians are being beheaded for their faith. In the East right now, you can read about it almost every single week, they're being beheaded for their faith. They're being martyred for their faith. But here in the West, we're seeing a great apostasy. Whole denominations are throwing the Bible out the door. Is this not apostasy? When you turn away from the blood that bought you and the faith that saved you and the grace that knocked on the door of your heart and you you won't teach the Bible anymore and you won't acknowledge that Jesus is the only way to salvation anymore, that's apostasy. And that's happening all over the West. So it's not hard to imagine this. So the harlot that John sees is in league with the Antichrist, which John introduces us to next in verse 3. Here comes the Antichrist. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, this angel did. And I saw a woman, the great harlot, sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The second character presented is a scarlet beast, which is seen carrying the harlot. So this political system is helping carry this false religious system. This beast has seven heads and ten horns. Now we're going to look at that a little more closely in verse 7. But first, let me talk to you more about this harlot, this apostate religious system. On the outside, she's impressive. Remember that. Having a form of godliness, Paul said. A form of godliness. Looking right. Appearing right looking religious, looking holy, having a form of godliness, but denying the real power of God. A phony, fake, apostate religious system, a super church that the world will love. Now, a third mystery enters the vision, and let's just look at this real quick and get it out of the way. On her forehead, a name was written. And what was the name? Mystery Babylon the Great the mother of harlots, and of the abominations of the earth. Well, what do you mean when you talk about Babylon, all right? In Scripture, Babylon always pictures rebellion against God, false religion, and the pride of man. Babylon harkens back to Nimrod and the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis. Remember that? The Tower of Babel was not built for the worship and praise of God. Remember they got together and they said, let's build a tower reaching to the heavens. Let's build a tower, the Tower of Babel. And they began to do it. And God looked down and said, we're going to have to stop them. And God stopped them by confounding their language. But here is what was at the core of the Tower of Babel. 
It wasn't built for the worship and praise of God, but it was dedicated to the glory of men with a motive of making a name for the builders. Look what they said in Genesis 11, verse 4. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Trump Tower. You know, when you're full of ego, you build things after yourself. When you're full of the Holy Spirit, you build things to the glory of God. Amen? Now, sorry, Donald, nothing personal. Should you ever see these DVDs? So spiritual Babylon represents man's pride, rebellion, and the destruction that follows the departure from God. So when he saw mystery Babylon written on this apostate religion's forehead, it simply represented that this false religion was all about man and all about pride and was not for the glory of God. Now next, John continues to describe the evil character of this false apostate religious system or the harlot. Look at verse 6. I saw the woman and she was drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So this false religious system persecuted the saints, martyred the saints, and was drunk with the blood of the saints. What a picture. So obviously much of the persecution against real believers, tribulation saints, will come from this great harlot, this apostate religious system. It goes on, not only is the great harlot evil in her influence, but also literally drunk with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, her lips. What a picture. Her lips are stained with martyrs' blood. Wow. John is stunned, as you would be if you saw such a thing. And look what he says. He says, when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Who is this harlot and the scarlet beast that carries her? Well, John explains. Revelations 17, 7. He says, but the angel said to me, why did you marvel? Don't marvel. I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. So everybody say, I'm ready to understand who this harlot is. Because he's about to explain to John, who was amazed at what he'd seen, he's about to explain to John what he saw. So here he goes. First, the angel identifies the origin of the scarlet beast, having seven heads and ten horns. Verse 8 says, The beast you saw was once alive, but isn't now. And yet he will soon come up out of the bottomless pit and go to eternal destruction. Huh? Watch. Follow, according to John, the scarlet beast first exists, then disappears, then reappears again. Is, then isn't, then reappears coming up out of the bottomless pit. Now, John gives a clue as to what this means in verse 9. He says, this calls for a mind with understanding. The seven heads of the beast represent the seven hills where the woman rules. Well, most Bible scholars believe this is clearly talking about Rome, the famous city of seven hills. Okay? We're going now. So he's talking about Rome. There's no question about it. 
John was on Patmos, but, you know, Jesus had done his ministry in Rome, and he was looking at Rome, and there it was. And so, obviously, he's saying that the beast that is and then is not and then reappears has something to do with Rome. The scarlet beast, therefore, is Roman in its origin. Now, since the scarlet beast is Roman in origin, John is telling us that Rome, the Rome that existed when he wrote the Revelation, would first exist then disappear, and then reappear at some time in the future. Well, did Rome exist when John wrote it? Yeah. Did it disappear? Yes. John is predicting a resurrected Roman Empire in the last days. Not the same buildings, not the same laws, language, and so on, but a resurrection of the culture a resurrection of the character, that's the key word, with which it is described in the Bible. Daniel the prophet talked about this and predicted Rome would be like so. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 40, he's describing now Rome, the one that would be, then cease to exist, then reappear. He's going to tell us about the character of Rome. Here it comes. Strong as iron. That kingdom, says Daniel, will smash and crush all previous empires. Just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. All right? Let's look at Daniel's description of Rome a little bit more closely. So this Rome would be oppressive, powerful, crushing, overwhelming, dominating. Now that's Daniel. That's before Rome was. Is that the way Rome was? Is that the Rome that crucified Jesus? Is that the Rome that persecuted the saints? Is that the Rome where the Caesars were? Nero burning Christians in his garden? Rome. One day the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, had a dream. It disturbed him and it perplexed him. Daniel was given the interpretation in Daniel 2. You know, when you have a bad dream, it's great to have a prophet around because he couldn't figure it out and none of his seers and none of his magicians and soothsayers could figure it out. But Daniel said, I'll tell you what you dream. I'll describe it to you. I'll explain it to you. Daniel said to him, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen when everybody say it in the latter years. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. And then he proceeds to tell him his dream. He says, in your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge shining statue of a man. I'm going to show you a picture in a minute, but just get this in your mind now. A uh, shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight to you. He says, the head of the statue was made of gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron. And its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. In other words, not pure. All right? Now he goes on. Next, Daniel explains the meaning. He says, let me tell you what that frightening man, let me tell you what he was all about. He says, now we will tell you, the king, what it means. Your majesty, you are the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He has made you the ruler over all the inhabited world, and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. He said, you, Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold, the Babylonian kingdom. The head of gold was the king of Babylon. 
This was a compliment to Nebuchadnezzar. Babylon ruled the world with an all-controlling, efficient, and powerful government for more than 80 years. So Daniel said, the head of that man you dreamed about, that was you and your kingdom. Then in verse 39, Daniel says, but after your kingdom comes to an end, another kingdom inferior to yours is going to rise and take your place. I want everybody to say with me, God knows what's coming before it arrives. Even nations. Do you get what is happening here? He is telling him what nations are going to arise before they're even there. So before the beginning begins, God is at the end. It's powerful stuff here. Now watch. The arms of silver that you saw were the Medo-Persian Empire. That's what came into power after Babylon. And they ruled the world for the next 200 years. So that was the arms of silver. And then Daniel goes on. After that kingdom has fallen, yet a third kingdom represented by bronze will rise to rule the world. So what was the bronze? And it says the thighs of brass represent the empire of Greece under Alexander the Great. Alexander and Greece came after the Medo-Persian Empire in history. Very important. Daniel saw it coming before it ever began. But then in verse 40, look now. Following that kingdom, there's going to be a fourth one, as strong as iron. That kingdom will smash and crush all previous empires, like iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. He sees this fourth kingdom coming. The legs of iron represent the Roman Empire, which came after the Greeks, if you know your history. Greece was absorbed by Rome. Daniel saw it coming before it ever arrived. He said, when it comes to those, those legs of iron, that's two. Well, the two legs were the eastern and western divisions of the Roman Empire. Because around 400 years after Jesus died and rose from the dead, Rome divided two legs, into east and into west. Everybody say, ooh. See, when God says something, it's so clear. Now look at this. Daniel continues. The feet and the toes you saw were a combination of iron and baked clay showing that this kingdom will be divided. Like iron mixed with clay, it'll have some of the strength of iron, but while some parts of it will be as strong as iron, other parts will be as weak as clay. Now, here's what this means. The feet and the toes, consisting of both iron and clay, is a prediction that Rome would one day re-emerge, represented by the iron, but that it would not consist purely of Roman culture, but it would be a mixture of different cultures. The re-emerging Rome, now stay with me because this is all going to make sense in a minute. The re-emerging Rome is not going to be pure Rome. It's going to be mixed, multicultural. There's going to be many different peoples that will make up this new resurrected Rome. Multicultural. When it resurrects. Now hold that thought. Now let me show you Nebuchadnezzar's dream quickly for a recap. There's the man that he saw. We call him Metal Man. Everybody say Metal Man. In the day of superheroes, you've got to think of something. So there's Metal Man. All right, this is what he dreamed about. Now, let's look. Remember, the head of gold was the Babylonians, and that was Nebuchadnezzar. Then it went to the chest and the arms of silver. That was the Medes and the Persians. That was the kingdom that followed next. 
Cyrus the Great, Darius, so on and so forth. They authored the reconstruction of the temple. And finally, they fell to Alexander the Great. And that's the Greeks. The brass, the waist and the thighs made of brass were the Greeks. That's what followed next. In world domination, the strongest civilization of that time, Alexander the Great. And he was shown in another part in Daniel, the Greeks were shown as being like a leopard. Alexander was known for taking the land with great speed, moving with great speed, with great rapidity. So the word nailed this. Then after the Greeks, so you had the Babylonians, Medes and Persians, the Greeks, and then came Rome, legs of iron. Two legs, eastern and western. Western Rome perished, died out about 400 years after Jesus. And Europe went into the Dark Ages. Eastern Rome stayed till about 1200 A.D. But there were two legs, a division of Rome. And then by 1200 or so, it all died out. And so you had Rome existing and then disappearing. And John said, but it's going to come back. You with me? It's going to be, it's going to disappear, and then it's going to come back. Now, the clay and the iron feet is talking about future resurrected Rome, the nations of Western Europe. And this is what we're looking at today. Are you ready? Watch this. Right now, the clay and the iron feet exist. I'm going to show you. Finally, Daniel has one more thing that is powerful. We've got to read this because in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he said, As you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, that's the resurrected Rome, smashing them to bits. Talk about getting your feet stepped on. This is talking about Messiah. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold, Nebuchadnezzar, in your dream. Then the wind blew them away without a trace like chaff on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. What is that talking about? The stone cut without hands out of the mountain represents Jesus Christ, the rock of ages, who will return to earth to destroy the one world Gentile government, the resurrected Rome, the clay and iron feet, headed by the Antichrist, Jesus will come back and destroy the Antichrist kingdom, and then he becomes a mountain that lasts forever. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed. Now watch this. Here's John's main point. We've got to walk away from all this symbolism with John's main point. Antichrist will rise out of a revived Roman Empire and Messiah will ultimately crush his kingdom at the close of the Great Tribulation. This is John's main point in Revelation 17. Now the revived Roman Empire is the eighth kingdom that John speaks of in verse 11. Listen to what he says. The beast who once was Rome and now is not, after 1200 A.D. it was gone, is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. The eighth kingdom is going to be the Antichrist kingdom during the tribulation. 
It'll possess ten horns, which are ten nations, that will offer their allegiance to the Antichrist. Look what verse 12 through 14 says. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. This is talking about the ten leaders and nations that in a dark satanic hour will join league with the Antichrist. They have one purpose, and they will give their power and their authority to the beast, the Antichrist. They will make war against the Lamb. We're going to see this in the next week or two. It's amazing. When Jesus comes back, they literally join forces to fight the one who is returning from heaven. Can you believe that? They will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome them because He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and with Him will be His called, chosen, and faithful followers. Wow. Now let me ask you a question. Has Rome returned? Are the clay and iron feet, are they here now? The key point of chapter 17 is the reemergence of Rome, the scarlet beast, and of the great harlot the apostate religious system that is carried by the beast and works with the beast to persecute and martyr the tribulation saints. So let's see if Rome has returned. The revival of the Roman Empire has in fact already begun in the form of the European Union. It started in 1948 through Belgium, Holland, and Luxembourg. From there it grew to ten nations. Get this, church. With the addition of Greece in 1981, the European Union consists of more than 25 European nations today, but there are only 10 full charter members. Remember, 10 heads, 7 horns will give their authority to the beast in the last days. There's 10 full charter members in the European Union right now. The rest are associate members or have observer status. Now, let me tell you some chilling characteristics about this. The European Union is presently at the forefront right now of calling for Israel and the Palestinians to come to the peace table. What do we tell you? You'll know Antichrist is here when a peace treaty is made between the Arabs and the Jews. The Palestinian-Israeli conflict will be temporarily solved by the Antichrist. Now, you won't see it. You won't see it. I don't believe. But if you wake up tomorrow and somebody's signing a peace treaty with them, you need to get right with God real quick because this is what's going to happen. You've seen president after president after president after president try to bring peace. And yet it always eludes them. Why? It's waiting for the son of perdition. He will do it. He will bring it about. But the European Union is all about getting Israel and the Palestinians to come to the peace table. It'll be just such a peace negotiation, according to Daniel 9, 26, 27, one of which will come the covenant made with death and hell, is what Isaiah called it. They will make a covenant with hell when they make a covenant with the Antichrist. Antichrist, the prince that shall come, will personally guarantee that covenant. But the prophetic word says that when they shall say peace and safety, hey, peace, 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 
We finally got it between the Arabs and the Jews. When they say that, within three and a half years, sudden destruction is going to come upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. Now watch this. The European Union's influence is growing at a phenomenal rate. And what is the European Union? It's revived Rome. It's the clay and iron feet. It has reappeared. Soon its economy will, it is predicted, eclipse that of the U.S. in almost every category. It is a beast just about to be released upon an unsuspecting world. The European Union is clearly Rome resurrected from the seeming dead. It is the scarlet beast with ten heads. This is why, saints of God, hear me now, this is why there is this huge push for one world government, one world currency, a one world financial market, one worldism is not something that God wants. It is a push that is setting the stage for Antichrist. And that's why you're going to see all the currencies in the world weaken. It's going to happen. I'm sorry. The dollar, the yen, the franc, all of them. And chances are the euro will come to the fore and dominate. The European Union is Rome resurrected from the seeming dead. Now let me talk to you about the European Parliament. The European Parliament is the parliamentary institution of the European Union and has been described as one of the most powerful legislatures in the world. The European Parliament. The EU is made up of ten full member nations, the ten horned beast, and also establishes a senior ranking high representative, a president as it were, who has the power to call a council at any time and to execute emergency powers. One actual document of the Western European Union says that it will serve as the military muscle of the EU, and that document is entitled Recommendation 666. Can you believe that? Physically, the EU's new glass parliament building, you've got to see this, the EU's new beautiful state-of-the-art glass parliament building is of the space age. The seats of its massive hemicycle, meaning semicircular, are designed like the crew seats in the Star Trek space machines. There's the tower building. The tower building houses the fifth parliament of Europe. There it is. Isn't that beautiful? But let me show you something that will blow your mind. Ready? Look at the Tower of Babel as put together by an artist rendering what he read in the book of Genesis on your left. And look at the EU parliament. Pretty cool. Well, uncanny. Right? I feel like I bring Twilight Zone music in. But we're dealing with the Word of God here, folks, and the God who sees the end from the beginning. So this shouldn't surprise us. Now look at this. The Legislative Amphitheater has 679 seats, each assigned to a particular lawmaker. For example, seat 663 is assigned to Representative Suchet, 664 to Thomas Moreau, 65 to Zisner, and 67 to Representative Capato. Now I know what you're thinking. Only one seat remains unoccupied. Now, I first, being suspicious, intellectually suspicious, said, is that an urban myth? The sources 
that I checked were solid, but let's just say that's not true. Remember what we just showed you. There's 679 seats. So there is a seat, 666. The relevant section of the seating plan provided to each member reads as follows. Now that's just some of the names and some of the seating. 666, dash, 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 dash. Probably nobody wants to sit in it. <laughs> I wouldn't sit in it. I mean, they may be, you know, flipping coins about who's going to have to sit in it. I don't know. But there you have it. Now, I'm not even saying that whoever sits in that is Antichrist, but isn't it interesting? In 1999, Javier Solana became the high representative for the European Union's foreign and security policy. And through recommendation number 666, he was given emergency powers over the military wing of the European Union in 2000. All that currently remains to create a truly revived Roman Empire is the creation of a permanent executive branch of government and the full integration of the new euro currency. And you do know that virtually every currency in the world is in trouble. Ours is in real trouble. Matter of fact, ours is in ridiculous trouble. How do you spell a trillion? If you started a business in Jesus' day and that business cost you a million dollars a day up to today, you still wouldn't have a trillion. Our God is over the nations of the world. And our God is the God of history. Matter of fact, history is his story. Now, it's not that he does everything in it. When men do evil things, God doesn't do that. But it's like we're on a cruise ship. And I'm Captain Steubing. Now, the cruise ship is headed for, oh, I don't know, let's say the Greek islands. And we depart from America somewhere. We're headed to the Greek islands, and I'm the captain of the ship. Now, my course is set for the Greek islands. On the ship, there is law. There are principles. There are moral codes. There are things you can and can't do. There is a law book. Everything that happens on that ship is not going to be according to my will as the captain. Things are going to happen that break that law book. And I'm going to feel badly about it. I'm going to execute justice. I'm going to try to get you to the Greek islands by rule of law in one piece. And, but here's the deal. No matter what happens on that ship, whether in or out of my will, I'm still going to get you to the Greek islands. My course is set. Not everything that happens on this earth is God's will. He's given us law. But whether or not men obey it, we're still headed to Revelations. And we're still headed to chapter 22 when it's all over with. You get it? With the introduction of the new European Union Constitution, the groundwork is being laid for just such an executive branch and economic system. Now look what it says in Revelations 13, 18. Here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding count the number of the beast. It's the number of a man, and his number is 666. Whether that has anything to do with that seat or not, isn't it something that seat's there? 
Today, this scripture is being fulfilled before our very eyes. The Antichrist seat will be occupied. And he will arise out of that resurrected Roman Empire. The world awaits his full and final development. The Lord will destroy him by the spirit of his mouth, the word of God, by the brightness of his coming. It says 2 Thessalonians 2.8, the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. All right, everybody stand up, can you? Now, next week, we're going to finish chapter 18. is the last chapter of judgment and a bunch of woe is me's. But next week, you're going to see the financial systems of the world completely collapse. Babylon is going to completely collapse. And then chapter 19, we're going to heaven. How many of you are ready to go to heaven? All right, Father, we just thank you for your word tonight. We thank you, Lord, for the unbelievable accuracy of Bible prophecy. You saw the kingdoms of the world coming before they ever began. You saw them end, and you saw those that would take the place of them. In the same way right now, Lord, you see the kingdoms of the world, and you know exactly what timetable is upon them. And it's all in your hands. We thank you for it, Lord. Now, with your heads bowed, if you can say, you know, Pastor Jeff, I know that I'm not where I need to be with God I know that my heart is not right I know that my life is not in line with his will like he wants me to be and there is a tug on my heart to get my life in line with God I want to be sure that I got peace with God and I have nothing to fear as the future comes upon us and these prophecies unfold. I want to be right. I want to have peace. I don't know if anybody here tonight is in that place, but if you are, you can leave this building with peace with God tonight. And I'm going to ask you in Jesus' name, if you can say, you know, Pastor Jeff, I, I've had a tug on my heart for a while. I know, even sitting here tonight, that I need to get my life right with God. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up right where you are? And I want to pray with you before we go. I'm going to wait just a moment. Put it up. Say, I need to get right with him and I'll let you pray for me. Thank you, Lord. Well, that means everybody in here is right. You know what? Then that means you ought to go out and find somebody who's not right. Because they're everywhere. Now, Lord, thank you for your word. And we praise you as we dismiss. 